Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Educating Investors podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. In this episode, I'm going to recap some of the items that caught my attention last week that you should be aware of as well, and to take a look at the week ahead. Most of what I would be discussing in this recap will be based on the posts that I've added on LinkedIn in the last week. So if you wanted to take a look at those posts, feel free to view them on my LinkedIn page. I wanted to start with a quick overview of the markets last week, as well as discuss some of the things that I'm watching and posted about last week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 422.06 points, or 1.6%, to 27,219.52. The S&P 500 Index rose 1% to 3,007.39. And the NASDAQ Composite advanced 0.9% to 8,176.71. The IFA Index, which is the Europe-Asia Far East Index, was up 1.99%. And the EM, the Emerging Market Index, was up 1.85%. The 10-year Treasury yield ended at 1.899%. However, these numbers mask a lot of things that were going on underneath the surface of the markets last week. There was a massive rotation from large-cap growth and momentum stocks to small-cap and value names last week. As I had posted earlier in the week on LinkedIn, the outperformance of large-cap stocks to small-cap stocks got to a high point for the last 15 years but reversed last week. The Russell 2000 small-cap index was up 4.9% last week. Even with the small-cap rally to large-cap recently, the ratio of large-cap outperforming small-cap is still above the historical average. According to the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Market, Small cap value based on its current P.E. is trading at 94% of its 20-year average current P.E. Based on this valuation metrics, it is the most undervalued area of the U.S. stock market. One thing to keep in mind with the small cap space is the quality of the small cap companies that you own because there are a lot of zombie companies in this space. A zombie company is one which is not even able to cover their debt servicing costs with current earnings. According to Luthold Whedon Capital Management, the proportion of small-cap U.S. firms without earnings stood at 32% at the end of May, matching the highest level since the global financial crisis. So make sure you are well-diversified in the small-cap space and know what you own. In terms of the fixed-income market, U.S. government bond yields posted their biggest weekly advance in more than six years, with the 10-year Treasury ending around 1.9%. I put out a post about three weeks ago on Treasury yields. At that time, I explained how in a Bank of America Merrill Lynch monthly survey of fund managers in July, taking a long position in Treasuries was the most crowded trade. Data from Consensus Incorporated in their Treasury bond consensus data shows that around 75% of the respondents were bullish on Treasury bonds. I discussed how I would not be surprised to see yields move back up. They sure did move back up. Higher yields came due to good economic data, including retail sales, better news on the trade front, and core CPI climbing to 2.4%, the fastest annual pace since July of 2018. The 10-year yield, with this move to almost 1.9%, has gone through short-term resistance at 1.6%, 1.7%, and 1.75%. The next short-term resistance level on the 10-year yield is around 2.06%, 
This would take yields back to around the current level of the S&P 500 dividend yield, which is around 2.03% according to J.P. Morgan's Guide to the Markets. So what does this all mean for investors? Is this a long-awaited rotation that investors have been waiting for? Only time will tell. However, in Barron's this weekend, Doug Ramsey, Chief Investment Officer at the Luthol Group, notes that the MSCI USA Momentum Index hit an all-time high on August 29 relative to the MSCI USA Value Index and has been falling since then. That ratio also peaked in March of 2000, Ramsey noted, at the height of the dot-com bubble, just as the S&P did. The peak began the transition out of high-flying momentum stocks into value and ultimately helping to trigger a recession. With this rotation from large-cap growth and momentum stocks to small-cap and values names, as well as a move up in the 10-year treasury yield this week, it could be a good time for investors to check on their own allocation to make sure they are allocated and diversified correctly based on their personal plan. If you don't have a plan or need help, find a financial advisor who acts as a fiduciary in your best interest to help educate you on establishing or rebalancing your plan. To continue with the theme of fixed income, I would like to discuss my concern with the corporate bond market, especially those rated triple B, the lowest end of the investment grade market. Ford's credit rating was cut to junk status by Moody's last week. The other two rating agencies, S&P and Fitch, kept their ratings where they are currently, which is two levels above junk. Ford debt is allowed to stay in the Bloomberg Barclays investment grade corporate bond index as long as they are rated investment grade by two out of the three major rating companies. However, it is something to keep an eye on due to the fact that Ford is a very large issuer of debt as well as there is a very large percentage of corporate debt that is currently rated triple B. The triple B bond market currently making up around 50% of the corporate debt market. Corporate debt to GDP levels is near a record high. Jeffrey Gunlack, founder and CIO of Los Angeles-based DoubleLine Capital in May, stated that he thought that a downturn in the corporate bond market could be similar to that of subprime collapse during the Great Recession due to the larger size of the corporate bond market. He also stated in May that based on corporate leverage ratios, 38% of the corporate bond market should be rated junk. This $3.2 trillion of debt could be at risk in the next economic downturn or recession, with a potential downgrade based on slower revenue and a flight to safety in the bond market. This is something that I posted about extensively, and I think it is important to take a deep look at what you own in terms of fixed income. I believe this is a time for your fixed income to act like fixed income. More higher-rated core fixed income that has a lower or negative correlation to your portfolio risk assets instead of a more aggressive fixed income like high-yield or junk bonds, which would be more highly correlated to risk assets and would provide less diversification. Speaking of high-yield bonds, I posted a chart showing the lower-rated C junk bond yields rising and the spread between them and investment grades widening. The selling triggered losses in triple C rated loans in August for the first time this year, counting price changes and interest payments. According to Moody's, the covenants on high yield that came out in July were the worst on records in terms of protection, which has been a continuation of weak covenants on high yield bonds recently. An article in the Wall Street Journal continues that theme, stating that the U.S. distress ratio, which is a proportion of junk bonds that yield more than 10 percentage points above treasuries, jumped to 9.4% in August this year from around 6% in July, 
according to data from S&P Global Ratings. Why this is important is that widening spreads between high-yield bonds and investment-grade bonds could signal concerns about growth in the economy. Finally, the worst-kept secret in monetary policy was finally let out last week. Mr. Draghi at the ECB meeting last week launched further stimulus. The ECB, the European Central Bank, said it would cut its key interest rate by 0.1 percentage point to minus 0.5% and start buying 20 billion euros a month of eurozone debt, restarting a so-called quantitative easing program that they just ended in December of 2018. The new QE will run as long as necessary, and the ECB also promised not to raise interest rates until it has seen the inflation outlook robustly converge with its target of just below 2%. As I have said in the past, it is hard to see how a further lowering of policy rates that are already negative is going to help inflation when it hasn't already, and how further negative rates can solve the problem of uncertainty from the current trade issues. I think Mr. Draghi said something very important, though. He called on countries such as Germany and the Netherlands to increase spending to support the Eurozone economy. I believe that he is realizing that there is only so much more monetary policy can do in the situation of a slowdown or a recession in the future, and that fiscal policy is going to have to do its part. Countries like Germany and the Netherlands have budget surpluses that could be used to fund fiscal policy to assist the Eurozone economy. So far, the German government has shown no signs or interest of fiscal support at this time, but with their economy contracting in the second quarter and potentially in the third quarter, it will be interesting to see if that stance changes in the near future. Now that I have recapped last week and discussed some items I believe should be of interest of investors, I would like to look ahead to this week to discuss a couple of items that will be important for investors. The first thing that I want to discuss is the drone attack on Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure this weekend. Saudi Arabia shut down about half of its oil output after a drone attack at two Aramco facilities. This would amount to 5 million barrels a day and 5% of the global oil output per day. The Secretary of State of the United States has blamed Iran for the attack. Officials had hoped to restore production to its regular level of 9.8 million barrels a day by Monday. Saudi Arabia's energy minister said lost production would be offset through supplies of oil already on hand. However, as of this evening, Saudi Arabia's national oil company expects to restore roughly a third of crude output disrupted in this weekend's attack by day's end Monday. But the strikes will likely leave the country short of full production capacity for weeks. U.S. oil futures advanced about 12% to $61.60 a barrel, shortly after trading opened at 6 p.m. Eastern this evening. Brent crude, the global gauge of oil prices, soared 13% to nearly $69 a barrel. If those moves held, they would mark some of the biggest intraday moves for crude in years. If it takes longer to turn back on production, this could potentially lead to higher energy prices. It does lead to more uncertainty in the Middle East, which could also have an effect on energy prices. Almost three-quarters of Aramco's crude exports, about 5.2 million barrels, were delivered to customers in Asia last year. It believed demand will grow faster than anywhere else in the world in Asia. Its Asian buyers include China, India, South Korea, Japan, and Taiwan, 
This is now another concern when it comes to the economy, along with the trade war. Finally, the second worst-kept secret in monetary policy will take place on Wednesday. The Federal Reserve is expected to cut the Fed Fund's policy rate by a quarter percent, following its initial quarter point cut at the end of July. The CME Fed Fund's future is currently showing an 81.9% probability of a quarter point cut versus an 18.1% probability of the Fed staying course. The CMB Fed Fund's futures is currently showing that the market is expecting another cut beyond this one before the end of this year. It will be interesting to see at this meeting what the Fed projections show not only for Fed funds rate by the end of this year, but also what their thoughts are on unemployment, core PCE, and GDP growth. The Fed said back in July that it was cutting rates based on the economic uncertainty in the global economy, most of which is being caused by the trade war and also falling inflation. As of right now, there seems to be a little bit more positive news on the trade front, with a meeting scheduled for October and a brief delay in some tariffs. In terms of inflation, it has started to creep a little higher with the core CPI, increasing 2.4% in the 12 months through August, the most since July of 2018. The core PC, the preferred measure of inflation of the Fed, for August will be released on September 27th, and it will be interesting to see if it confirms the trend of inflation starting to move higher. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The Educating Investors podcast, its host Scott Peterson and his firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC shall not be held liable for losses resulting from the investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investor podcast show.